I love wine regions that are undeniably authentic and that always over-deliver. For me, that sums up Paso Robles. In fact, the first time I got on a plane in over a year and a half was to visit Paso back in April. Paso Robles sits in the heart of California's Central Coast. It's a big wine region that has many diverse microclimates, and it allows for a stunning array of grapes to thrive. In short, Paso Robles has range. They aren't known for just one or two varietals or wines. They make interesting blends from Cabernet Sauvignon and other Bordeaux varietals, Syrah and Rhone-style wines, Zinfandel, Tempranillo, and they even make beautiful white wines. Side note for you guys, my number one wine of 2020 was a Zinfandel Tempranillo blend from Paso Robles. Just saying. I also love that it's made up of over 200 family-owned wineries. We're talking salt-of-the-earth people who put their heart and soul into their wines. Paso Robles is special, but now the word's getting out. You need to check it out and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. You can learn more at PasoWine.com. That's P-A-S-O Wine.com. Are you looking for extraordinary new wines that have been tasted and approved by professionals with over 40 years combined experience? Then you have to check out 56DegreeWine.com. Joe Bimbry and his grand crew at the shop do all the heavy lifting for you by vetting every wine on their shelves. They scour the wine world, traveling often to France, Italy, Spain, California, all over the place, seeking out the absolute best values. And they keep that philosophy alive in selecting their artisan-made spirits and handcrafted microbrews. Whether you're looking for a baller, Barolo, and Burgundies for the cellar, or everyday drinking wines, they've got you covered. Even my favorite from Domain Bizcot is a staple there, so you know they have good taste. Follow them on Instagram, at 56wine, and go to their website, which is www.5656degreewine.com to browse the thoroughly curated selections. Use the code MJ when you check out to save 15% off your first order. That's 56degreewine.com. They try a lot of crappy wine, so you don't have to. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is wine specialist and salesperson, consultant, and educator, Kelly Mitchell. Kelly was named on Wine Enthusiast 2021 40 Under 40 Tastemakers list and named a rising black voice in wine by Wine and Spirits Magazines, appearing on its October 2020 cover. Kelly is a sales representative with Skernick Wines and Spirits. In 2016, she founded her own consulting company, Kelly Mitchell Wine, to focus on the wine needs of consumers. Uh, Kelly has been an event Somali at the James Beard House. In April of 2020, Kelly launched Kelly Selects, an e-commerce boutique in partnership with online wine retailer Wired for Wine, where she shares her favorite wines and makes them available for consumer purchase. 
She is currently completing her WSET Level 3 Advanced and holds the WSET Level 2 Certificate in Wine Education from the International Wine Center. And she received the La Dame d'Escoffier International New York Chapter International Wine Center Scholarship last week. Whew. She earned it. Um, Kelly is a member of Black Wine Professionals and a mentor for Wine Unify, and she has been featured in 750 Daily, Cosmopolitan, Martha Stewart Living, Forbes, Wine Enthusiast, NBC News, and Vine Pair, and has appeared as a guest on several podcasts, but she's finally made the big time because she's right here on the Black Wine Guy Experience. Welcome, Kelly. Is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> Thank you. No, I think that's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> Yes, we have good research. We do good research. Uh, tell us the wine we're drinking this evening. So we've got a GG Dry Riesling from Von Vinning, uh, which Von Vinning is one of my favorite producers of dry Riesling in particular. Um, Riesling is a totally underrated grape, and it should be consumed much more than it is. And so I was able to get this bottle, and um, this is, you know, one of the Tete de Cuvées from this producer, and it's just, you've tasted it. It's really... Yeah, I mean, just the nose. It's yeah. It, I mean, the nose. It smells like white burgundy on the nose. Yeah, so it's uh, crazy dry and a little bit of well, some oak aging as well is, is one of their main attributes of the way that they cho chose to produce wine. So truly special, and a great to kind of share with white burgundy lovers who think they only like white burgundy. Exactly, <laughs> um, and it's. Uh, Von Vinning? Von Vinning. See, I was like winning. I'm just simple. Yeah, that's, I like, was pronouncing I'm it kind of Von funny. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> People will know. All right, let's get right into it. Where did you grow up, Miss Kelly Mitchell? I am from central New Jersey, um, a town named Somerset, which is actually not too far from Rutgers, New Brunswick. Okay. Um, my mom is actually originally from New Jersey as well, and my dad is from outside of Philly, and they met in college and then resettled back in New Jersey. Okay. So your mom is a Jersey girl. She is. <laughs> and uh, we're outside of Philly, because I live my, down. Oh, my dad's from Chester, PA. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well-known, uh, not for the best reasons always, but, you know. <laughs> That's where he's from, so we rep it. Okay. No, you should rep it. And so um, so you grew up in Somerset? I did. My whole life. Same house, actually, the whole time. Oh, my God. Parents are still there. <laughs> oh, man, that's really cool. Um, so I'm I'm from Long Branch originally, so that's Central Jersey also. And just, just a straight shot to out to New Brunswick, down 18. Yes. Um, where did you go to high school? I went to Franklin High School, which was the okay. which is the public school in Somerset, which is Franklin Township High School, I guess you could say. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to remember because um, I'm so old. I ran track, so I ran against Franklin. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So probably in the same conference. Yeah. 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 Central Jersey Group 3 we were. So um, back then, but I'm sure the high school demographics have changed. Yours is probably smaller. Long Branches is definitely bigger. They actually moved to a larger school um, not too long ago, maybe five years ago. So. All right. So tell me about your childhood in Somerset, Central New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was it was great. I have one sister. We're 16 months apart. Um, I'm a year older, but it, I feel like I don't remember my life without her. So uh, my upbringing was just really spent just spending a lot of time with my sister and my family. We're very close-knit. Thankfully, we're all still around and, and nearby, so we still spend lots of time together. I had a pretty ideal upbringing, I would say. I truly consider my parents and who they are as one of the greatest blessings that I ever received in my life is just having them as parents. They're just phenomenal individuals and, and poured into my sister and I so much. So yeah, it was a really happy, um, interesting, you know, 
got to expose a lot of things. My parents really valued experiences over things. So mm-hmm. we got to travel a lot and um, we explored so many different activities to try to find our interests and our passions starting at a young age. And so that was something that at the time I didn't over, didn't really value as much. But in hindsight, I remember so many fond memories from just growing up and everything. So like what was um, – share a fond memory like 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 a travel or a food experience. Like, Give us an example. Uh, sure. So one was I chose not to have a sweet 16 and to go to Hawaii. So I remember <laughs> um, going to Hawaii and doing the road to Hana and going to all the different waterfalls. And, and, and you know, that was really incredible. Um, my godmother, who was my mom's college roommate, uh, was like a very successful businesswoman at – you know, I guess a young age. And she took my sister and I to Paris when we were in our teens um, and really explored the world. And that was my, I bought my first Louis Vuitton bag at the, in Paris, at, in Paris on That's the Champs Elysees, <laughs> Louis Vuitton store. So I remember that. Um, and even younger, just, you know, just family vacations and just traveling with my parents was always something that we we like finally remember. Sometimes there's also funny memories that aren't <laughs> related to travel that are just like, did that happen? Because at the time, that area was really rural. It was my parents moved there because that's where like the new developments in New Jersey were. Mm-hmm. And my mom's family was from up north Jersey. But my parents were like, we're not going up there. We can't afford it. And it's really congested. We want like a new house in space. So at the time, the area I live in now was very, very rural and, and like farm area. I have a memory of in when I was in ele- actually lower than this when I was in preschool I fell into a pig pen with pigs <laughs> this is a true story <laughs> And it, and it was all I remember is it was dark and the pigs were snorting on snorting all over me and I was screaming. So essentially, there was pigs in a hole in the ground and we were at a far on a on a um, visit to a farm. And me and the first the two people the two kids behind me the three of us walked over this plank and three of us all fell into a pig pen, and then the pigs were snorting all over us and it was dark and we were obviously terrified. And it's it's so shocking of a memory that like every five years I ask my parents, does that really does that really happen? They're like, yeah, that did happen. I was like, I thought so, and I was very young, like three or four years old, and I remember it vividly. Uh, wow. So it was one of those childhoods. For my first birthday party ended up in the ER, um, jumping off of a stair and getting my <laughs> tooth stuck, my one tooth stuck in my lip. So I had to go get stitches, leave my own party. My, and I actually remember that too, which is crazy because I was I had turned one, and I remember the experience. So, funny things, crazy things, but mostly good stuff. Um, it was just a really loving upbringing. Yeah, you couldn't fall into a pig pen nowadays, or so. have your tooth your lip because of all the helicopter parenting that goes on nowadays. Exactly, those are very eighties things to occur. Yeah, exactly. Very eighties. Yeah, so, um, so like, um, was was. Um, was was food and wine a part of your family life or it was so i just remember from a very young age just being interested in food um more so than the average person my age i guess you can say um it was a funny my dad would always say you know we would be eating lunch and i would say well what's for dinner and he would say can we get through this one meal before you start asking me about the next one and so i just was so passionate about it um i started cooking at a really young age and i think what led me ultimately to wine was just my interest in flavors and and starting with food. Um, even in college, I went to school in Atlanta. I would travel to like the outskirts of Atlanta suburbs to try, you know, um, specific restaurants that I heard great things about. And I was always just chasing flavor. 
all the time. So chasing the flavor. Speaking of flavor, yes. <laughs> put this in a like a burgundy bottle and slip it into a blind tasting. It will fuck a bunch of people up. Mm-hmm. This is I mean this seriously. I'm like this is white burgundy all day. Absolutely, yeah. the oak, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, mm. beautiful. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned that you. Uh, I think you went to historic Hillman College in Atlanta. No, I'm sorry, Spellman. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the uh, real world. version of the TV. It's, it's a different world from Somerset, Spellman. Hilarious. So, <laughs> so what was? So you mentioned a little bit. Oh, and you're an AKA. Yes. Um. So yeah. So okay. I I know Somerset. So what was it like going from Somerset to uh, historically? Yes. So that was college and university. A big change. I was already kind of tracking to certain things like that. So we were also in Jack and Jill growing up, which is um for our guests, I know, but please there's a a lot of people who (laughs) it's um it's an organization for um African American or black families, um and that was originally started for essentially people who didn't live in very diverse areas so that they had ability to, you know, to fellowship with one another. It has a a service component. So, you know, you do community service and um, has a cultural element. And so you start, I started meeting people outside of my immediate school and region Mm -hmm. through in high school when I was in Jack and Joe. And a lot of them were talking about HBCUs. My parents both went to HBCUs and they met at um, Morgan State University, which is in Baltimore. um, And that's where they got together. And I had one family member who had went to Spelman. So that's kind of how it was on my radar. Um, and and for people, Spelman's like, it's like, it's like Smith. It's like, it's a very elite yes. institution. It's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like a blacksmith. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> but it's not a- one who puts horses on shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, yeah, it's a, uh, HBCU, but it's an all liberal arts, all women's college. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's kind of why mm-hmm. people put it into the same category with Smith. Um, and it has a, a strong and long history. Um, a lot of great alumni, really great alumni leaders. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so, so what, so, what was it like to go to an all women's college? Because I mean, you no, know, you have Morehouse, but like, like, like you went from Somerset to Hotlanta. Yes, it did, and it was very like hot. Jermaine Dupri Hotlanta. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It was player truly club one twelve where the players dwell, Atlanta. Yeah, Ti, you yep. know, Hotlanta. Yeah, it really was like that. When I got down there, it was very, very culturally vibrant with the south, the southern culture, which is funny. What was going on when you kind of referenced music? It was really a kind of a when they were really on top and on fire with being a mu- the music hub. Of Outcast the U.S. It was, a, was exactly fire before. Hey, yeah, uh, I mean they were they were like, oh, yeah, Goody Mob, Outcast, Goody Mob, Ti, yeah. Jeezy, yep. um, and and it was a great time to be down there. So it definitely was a big culture shock. I I say that I feel like it kind of um, softened some of my edges. I was always I'm a Jersey girl, so I just think it's very different when you go to the South. I have no really ties to the South, um, no family mm-hmm. really down there. So I hadn't spent any extended period of time, um, you know, South of Philadelphia, really, <laughs> um, from, you know, extended period of time. So it was it was a unique experience to be with all those women from all over um, because of the reputation that does draw a lot of people from across the country. So I credit attending Spelman to the reason why I have such a wide-reaching friend group. Yeah, um, yeah. 
because we just we were all met we were all there but now we're all everywhere and we're still really close so it was definitely a big change um, for me but I, I really enjoyed it and it, uh, the women's college aspect you have parts of it that feel that way but because Morehouse is right there the social element mm-hmm. it feels as though it's kind of more integrated than it really is it's just like you go to class with all women but you know you hang out all the time with whoever you want to so that was yeah that was one of the best decisions i think i made it was a great environment for me at the time so you said earlier that um while you were there you would seek out like whatever restaurant so give us like like i mean like like what were you seeking out it was like because it atlanta's very diverse but i mean we're seeing out like like you heard like there's somebody who makes really good fried chicken or there's there's this asian restaurant like what kind of things what kind of experiences were you seeking out all kinds. So so that's when I got the nickname. Uh, they, in college, they used to just say Zagat. That's what they used to call me. They used to call me the Zagat guy. Um, so I had the Red Book. And I had they, some people were like, what is that? I've never seen that. I'm like, oh, this has all the best restaurants. And this is how you know where to go eat. And I would just go down through that through that guide. And so I remember going to far out suburbs for, you know, like Afghan food. You know, just mm-hmm. it really, truly just exploring really broadly um all kinds of different cuisines going outside of the semi city limits for um for unique dining experiences not everything had to be kind of fancy i was really right. looking at you know really to understand food culture and different flavors and that's um when i got that nickname and it, it kind of stuck with me throughout people still uh use me as a restaurant refer um person that they reach out to to get restaurant recommendations all the time so it stuck <laughs> <laughs> So, um, like, what were you studying while you were there? I was actually in liberal arts. So it was liberal arts school, and I wanted to do kind of the more lighter path. I didn't want to do, you know, hardcore classes. So I was an English major, so a lot of reading reading books and writing papers. Okay. I didn't love taking tests, so I was. I, it was a good, you know, setup for me. It was better than a lot of the really um, exam-driven mm-hmm. um, course course paths you could take. And you know, Spelman. Part of what makes it unique is there's this strong core curriculum that everyone is responsible for taking, which talks about the history of you know history of women, history of African Americans, all kinds of um, core classes that they find to be important. So um, that's really what I was what I was studying, and I. I thought originally I wanted to be a lawyer, but then I kind of started changing my mind. You stop. She got smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no. Um, And I I ended up moving into finance, actually, is my first career, which is is a pretty interesting shift. We're going to get to that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry for... Mentioning you were in finance. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I kid, I kid. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You went to Stanford for as an exchange student. I did, which is super awesome because so yes, it was it's a great school. Stanford's amazing. I was there as an exchange student. I loved that experience. It was a nice break from Spelman, and it was it definitely added a unique component to like my academic experience. I remember um, taking some of the best economics classes, um, going into the city from Palo Alto to do these art cl- to go to museums, and we were taking art classes, and it was just. Obviously, a very different feel, and I just re- re- reflect very fondly on that time. Also, it's been um, makes me been making me smile lately because Insecure, the HBO show, this season is the last season, and I actually was at Stanford at the same time as Issa Rae. Okay, she was there. I actually met her in passing. You know, um, while we we were there at the same time, as a very small black community at that time, and. Um, 
right now this year this season it seems as though they are doing a bit more focus they are starting with them being back at Stanford as alumni and it was just very nostalgic for me because I relate to that show on so many levels, but that aspect is so unique. A lot of people just didn't, you know, have the experience of going to Stanford. Right. So I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing!" and I and I loved it. So did that. Um. So uh, you mentioned, um, and we'll get into finance more, but you also said you took a lot of economic, great economics classes. Um, <clears throat> did that when you were at Stanford? Did that kind of shift your direction away from? Just wanting, I mean, obviously major in English, but like, do you, is that where it kind of said, you know, let me check out this finance thing? It wasn't actually there. It, it really was driven by just looking for, um, you know, wanting to go into a good internship program. And so okay. I kind of land, landed there. What Stanford really did for me was actually made me more in touch with my creative side. Um, my sister's like, you were a hippie when you came back. I was just, <laughs> Spellman is very like, you know, especially when I was there, there's just like a certain image and the way you carry yourself. And I just felt like when I went to Stanford, I was able to just relax mm -hmm. a little bit in a way that I wasn't before and just really dig into my studies Um and I just really enjoyed kind of that freedom, the West Coast kind of culture, the vibe. The yeah. vibe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I tried to carry that with me, especially, you know, coming back to – it was a big shift going back to, to Spelman. Okay. So um, you graduated from Spelman and then where did your life so I ended up working um, at Goldman Sachs. I actually started working there uh, after my sophomore year at Spelman. So they were, you know, it's a it's an investment banking firm. Uh, no, I'm sure no one listening to this podcast doesn't know what has, that is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> well. And financial services company. So I landed there because at that time they were making a very specific effort to recruit from top HBCUs, which mm -hmm. is why they ended up at Spelman, mm -hmm. and to recruit people who did not have finance, finance degrees. degrees. Yep. They wanted, they wanted thinkers, thinkers out of the box. Exactly. Creativity. So that's kind of how I and, – and they were – they had some of the um, – the, their the internship package was a phenomenal offer. So – that's how I landed there the first she year. She got an internship package. Most people are like, can I work here for free? She yes. actually got a package. It was, it was a very, I was, you know, it had included housing. It included all kinds of um, perks. My producer was like, shit, this I, I should have went to, yeah. <laughs> to spell it. I was like, I just want to be in New York for the summer and make good money and work somewhere. Yeah, you don't make money on internships. Mostly, like 99% of people don't make money on internships. That's why I never took one. I was like, I can't work for free, bro. <laughs> But I didn't know about Goldman Sachs. Right. They had a formal program. And yeah. so I did two summers and then I worked there for three years. So um, – and so that was – you were there 05 to 08, right? Yes. So you were there – were you there when the crisis, when the shit hit the fan? Yeah. It was just before. <laughs> I was there, right? So I was also there during like the, – when I had graduated that year, hedge funds – I worked in the hedge fund space. They were blowing up in 05. Things were booming. It was really mm -hmm. alive. Um I definitely, you know, remember, you know, there were times when there were like the three martini lunches and stuff like that was going on, the very lavish client conferences. And that was exciting. Um, but as I was rounding up the end of my analyst program and looking uh, to move on to something different, that's when things were starting to um, kind of tumble. And I knew I wasn't truly that passionate about it and hardcore about being on Wall Street or being in finance the way that other people were. And some of the spaces I was interested in were really looking like they weren't going to be viable because of the, what was going on with the market. 
So um, the types of roles and types of companies. So for like hedge funds, for example, they were all blowing up. Why would you go work at a hedge fund? Um, so I decided to move on from at, at that point. So <clears throat> while you were there, did you – so obviously now you're in New York City. Yes. Um, and were you living in the city at that time? I was. Of I course. was in Harlem. Okay. I lived in – yeah, I lived in a great brownstone. It was so much fun. Um, so you were diving in obviously to the food and wine scene while you were there, right? I was. Yeah. I was already just dining out everywhere. <laughs> Not as much as I do now. But it was, you know, different too because your motivations were different. Sure. So we were still partying at that time. So it was like – late dinners before we would go to mansion or right. to you know one one oak or greenhouse so it was like late dinners before the club but they would always still be great places because i i because your nickname is a guy <laughs> exactly it is um so also like I, i've talked to people who worked in finance before and a lot of them they get that expense account and sometimes that's how they kind of get into wine was that or, or it was just how did that how did the progression um you know come into wine so you're leaving in 2008 and you're trans and and did you transition right into wine at that time no it wasn't a direct transition so okay. the first i actually first started becoming interested in wine when i was at goldman because of because of the client dinners and events um one of my responsibilities as a, as a junior person was to help plan our client conferences which were like multi-day trips with multiple dinners and the partner that ran our division, he was a collector, and he would just say, I don't care about anything else about this about this conference. I want to see the wine, wine list <laughs> at every restaurant that we're going to. And so I would go into his office, and, and we, I would show him the wine list, and he would select the wines in advance. And that kind of was the first thing, time I started thinking about wine, um, you know, as also just hearing, you know, his perspective as a collector and just people really being – more passionate about wine um, in a way that's not just like casual, casual enjoyment. Um, I did grow up drinking wine with my parents din during dinner. Um, so it was part of our life too, mm -hmm. but not to this extent. So that's what really started um, realizing that there was levels to this, I guess you can say, yeah. yep. and um, thought that goes into it. And I, um, I just carried that with me. I kept it in my back pocket. I was so fixated on career progression and money at that time in my life that idea of going to work in wine at that point was just not even something i would consider yeah so i just was like oh it's an interest i can continue to explore it as a passion project or you know on the side um but i kind of kept brushing the interest uh to the back to the sweeping it to the side because i just was like i have to stay in this like high earning career track mm -hmm. and that was really what i was focused on well i'm not mad at you for that uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um what what did you do when you leave Goldman? what did you do after you left goldman so i was kind of like not really sure what i wanted to do you know of course i was considering business school because everybody else was considering e business school, school yeah. but i was like i don't want to do all these tests and this seems it seems like there's probably a lot of fun going on there the trips look amazing but i don't know if this these this curriculum and the $150,000 debt is something I want. So I kind of in, um, explored that, but really didn't move forward with that. Um, I was liking some of the softer side of my job before I was in hedge fund sales. So mm -hmm. it included some, it was sales and marketing. Of course, I liked the marketing more aspect and I was more of a sales assistant because I was junior at that time. So I was like, what about marketing and advertising? And people had always told me you should be in PR. You need to be in like those kinds of entertainment um, just from like a personality standpoint. So 
Uh, I went to go work at a small, now closed, uh, family-owned advertising agency. Um, that was – I went to college with uh, the daughter of the founder, and okay. we were friends. And we, I worked and went to move to work in business development there for a little bit. So it was also just like trying something new, um, exploring a new industry, uh, working at a smaller company. It was a, definitely a big shift, but more, more in line with kind of my general interests and skills, I felt like, at the time. So – while you're there, um, like, how did you did you start studying uh, at the International Wine Center while you were working at the uh, the PR? It actually no, I didn't start studying until I was at I left and I was at a, another court like my last, which was what ended up being my last corporate wine corporate non wine job, which was when I was at Teach for America um, as a marketing director. Actually, it's located really mm -hmm. close by here. Um, so I was in their corporate headquarters working on marketing campaigns to recruit the teachers to come be teachers. So it was fine, but I was 30 and I was like, this is fine, but I don't really love what I'm doing. Um, I'm, I do think that there are people who can really thrive in, in without being passionate about their work. I personally am not one of them. Passion is like a huge component of me being able to bring my best self to the, to the table. Mm -hmm. And so I started taking classes then at the International Wine Center. And what was great about that is um, it kind of the teacher pulled me aside and was like, I don't know if you're an enthusiast or if you have interest in a career path, but you have naturally you have natural strength with your palate. You should consider working in the industry. So that's kind of how it started. And I was still at Teach for America at that time. But I really started giving it serious thought. I was like, well, what are the jobs? Because I don't think I want to work at a restaurant. I don't want to work at a store. So what else is there to do? So that's when I started exploring kind of corporate wine jobs, you know, looking at the marketing side of things, looking at PR, and then eventually sales came into play because it's one of the few day jobs in the industry as well, which I like. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not 100%, but it mostly is no, more I of a day job. I mean, you know, I have said, like, I worked in restaurants, but I, it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, and and if, and if you're older too, like if you're thirty, like and you're just coming in, you don't want to. No, yeah, it's like, not the path. It's like if you're like if you come up through it, it's different. But like at thirty, clocking dollars at Goldman, you, you try to That's go work on the floor at a restaurant. Yeah. you know, I totally get it. Um, you know what? Let's take a, a quick break, and then we're gonna come back with more Kelly. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. I know you like podcasts because you're listening to one right now. If you want another one to check out, you will love Where the Wine Takes You. It's Apostle Robles Wine Podcast hosted by Adam Montiel. And this podcast is all about the wines, winemakers, and stories of Apostle Robles. It's available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to it on their website, PasoWine.com. P-A-S-O-Wine.com. Hey, hey, what's up? It's your boy MJ again. Fun fact for you. Did you know that the ideal temperature to store wine is 56 degrees? Well, Joe Bembry and the crew at 56 Wine not only know that, they also had the audacity to name their store 56 Degree Wine. They even kept the thermostat set at 56 degrees until a few customers complained that it was a bit chilly. Listen, if you're looking for a great selection of carefully curated wines of perfect provenance, you need to go check them out. That's 56degreewine.com. You can use the code MJ at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. 
Okay, we're back. So um, we were talking about, um, you know, how you started to make that transition, uh, started studying at the International Wine Center. Um, uh, so this, the, you, you went there and the instructor said you have a good palate. Like, so this was after your level one. Like, what, what was going on? It was during my level one, but I was still working full time in, in marketing. But I just, it gave me the confidence to, to consider it because I am a hard worker and I want to put my mind and to something I usually can get it done. I will put forth the work ethic and um, I think I have like a general sense of smarts, but I hadn't always felt naturally gifted in a way that I felt in wine. And mm -hmm. I said to myself, if I cultivate this gift and develop it and continue to work as hard as I have worked before, if not harder, working in conjunction with natural talent – where you know, I, I, this is going to work. It's going to happen, and so I just decided to try it and move and move forward. And even just the ability to, yeah, the the momentum I was able to create to generate on my own, you know, without having a whole lot of success in the beginning, and, and just the relentless relentlessness um, and persistence and resilience that I had to that I you know had to show. I know if there were, if it was any other field or any other type of work, I would not have been able to have that same outcome. So um, that's kind of how I just kept doing it. I said, this is something that I can turn into something because there's something already there. Very cool. Um, I love that because I, I tell people like it's – I've said a lot. Like it, it's really hard work though. People need to understand that just because you have a certificate of any level – it's just hard yeah. work for, I mean, it's not a lot, it's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of jobs. Certificates are nice to have. I consider them a, more of a personal endeavor. Mm -hmm. They're not requirements for any job at all. Um, they don't indicate your a superior knowledge of anything to, right. <laughs> over anyone No, I, exactly. at all. So I don't, I do think wine education is, is valuable. I have found it to be um, a place where I find to the opportunity to ex exercise more discipline, mm -hmm. to be, um, to always be a student, you know, it is a very fun and social industry. So to have the discipline of studying and mm -hmm. um, critically evaluating wine versus just consuming it all the time, I found that it provides good balance for me. Yeah. Even though I have been out of the classroom for two years, I'm looking forward to getting back in. Um, pandemic mostly impacted that. But next year should be a back in the classroom year for me fully as I approach diploma. Okay. So um, we're going to utilize your wine education. We're going to pick that oh, beautiful gosh. brain of yours. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. Okay. Um, so, no, I, I, you have a diploma from the BNIA in France as a certified expert in Armagnac. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, tell everybody what who may not know because a lot of people don't know about Armagnac, believe it or not. It's know. a wine-based spirit uh, that is a kind of a cousin to cognac. Right. It's a region, It's right? a region. It's okay. a region, yes. But they produce a wine-based spirit um, that is a kind of more delicate example of cognac than cognac. Honestly, I don't <laughs> drink a lot of Armagnac anymore. No, it's okay. I got that to be a long time. You don't have to. This is just this is really cool. And also, what is the... Uh, BNIA stand for? I can't remember the what it stands for. It's the certifying body of Armagnac okay. education. I in bet the, world. the A stands for Armagnac, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, probably does. That's a good guess. <laughs> that is a good guess. It was a while ago. I took it actually in here in the city. Um, 
it was uh yeah just a nice another kind of specialty uh thing to explore i'm sipping your wine okay. no, don't don't listen we drink on the show it's okay mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 part of the it's part of the hook it really is good oh my god seriously oh my goodness. it is so good yeah, get, we, yeah, get, yeah come on. Get what am I, I'm sorry. I'm to. a little off today. I'm no, I, it's it's this probably my, me. Bring... No, I'm not blaming nobody. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, while you were doing that here in New York, did you go to France? Did you visit Armagnac or like? No, no, that was kind of like a more of a mini class. Okay. Um, definitely, um, st- most of my studies have been in just core wine through the WSET. Um, and then I eventually did start to travel to wine regions um, when I started working in sales, which, you know, tremendously helps your understanding of wine. I mean, you can read all of the books, but until you see a place, meet the people, mm-hmm. taste the wines th- while you're there because something <laughs> changes in the wine. I don't know when you when it gets here. It's not the same it's not the same experience. Um get to, you know, eat and drink the foods together that are from the same place. You know, be in Spain during white white asparagus season and get to have that with Rioja and, you know, gin tonics, as they say. <laughs> they don't say gin and tonic. Gin tonic. Uh, it's wonderful. So the travel is hugely valuable as well and I miss it. Um so you're 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 doing the studying. You're at International Wine Center. Uh, you leave uh, TFA, and then where did you land? I didn't have a job right away, so I went to work in retail. I was working uh, not wine retail. I worked at Lululemon selling leggings. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really a big shift from where I was. But I just. And that's what people think people don't really realize is that it looks as though I had a very like smooth path here, but it was extremely rocky at times, very, very challenging. Um, and yeah, I went to just while I continued studying wine and looking for a wine job, I was working at the mall. And I finally got my first sales job offer, the teacher was um, a sales manager. The teacher at the International Wine Center was a sales manager, and she offered me a, a sales position. So that's how I first got my first wine job. Um, that was VOS? That was a VOS. So what was that like? Uh, it was good. It was definitely a very starter experience. You know, it's a much smaller portfolio than um, where I am now. It's um, I was working in a really small market. Uh, so you just you're getting out there and you know, it's hard when you are used to like it's a, it just felt like a true reset. Like I I was 30 at the time, 31 maybe, and I really was start had started all the way over. Like everything I did before was like that's amazing, but it has nothing to do with what you're doing now. It is not going to allow you to come in anywhere at a higher level. So I just had to grind it out and be okay with that. So um it was a great portfolio. I loved um, getting to know the wine producers. And because of that size of the company, there wasn't like a brand management layer between us, like us between a salesperson and the winery. So mm-hmm. you could just literally call the, them up, the winemaker up directly or whoever. So it did feel more like mom and pop in a way. Um, and I was like more family oriented, I guess you can say. And I loved it. So it was just and Things, was that where was your territory? So. I was in um, mostly central New Jersey, so kind of close oh, okay. to where, yep. so more like the seventy-eight corridor. Um, and then when I moved to Skarnik, I moved up to north, ter- North Jersey territory. Okay, so what's it like? Um, 
I, yeah, I'd love to know what it's like to be a uh, sales rep from a, a smaller, um, I mean, yeah, small selection, you know, uh, in an industry. Like what I see when I go to stores, I live in Central Jersey still, is like a lot of Gallo stuff, mm -hmm. like like just a lot of established uh, a lot of established stuff from the call. <laughs> established for good, bad, you know, but like the VOS is more of it's more curated. Like what was it like, you know, you're coming in, you're, you're new to wine, you're Kelly, you're bubbly and you're going to these shops and you're like, what's that? What was yeah, it was definitely a challenge for sure. You know, they did consider the portfolio to be very niche and specialty and higher end wines, but you just find the right buyers that are interested in those. Um, I feel like at that time, I feel like I was having more traction with restaurants, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the nicer restaurants in that area, like the 90 acres of the world and places like that. Um, and yeah, just knowing that we aren't, we, and I've just also was really passionate about small production, family owned, estate wine from around the world, high quality. I had never had any interest in going to work for big brands, um, because I just felt like that wasn't in line with my the, my my style and what I what I like to drink and what I want to share with mm -hmm, others. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was definitely uphill battle for sure. But I just kept on, you know, trying to get people to try it. And it, it was funny. I became one of the yeah. When I was, it was really surprising to the ownership. I was the top salesperson. I had the top dollar per transaction as a sales rep at the company across anybody that worked at the company, even this, the New York sales reps, meaning my orders, I'm sorry, my case orders, I was selling the most higher price point wines than anybody else, um, even though I was in, you know, a territory that people would find, consider to be like more um, casual or, mm -hmm. you know, um, not as high profile because it's not the city, so. I mean, it's Jersey. To sell some there, expensive there's, wine. There's, yeah, man. You <laughs> kind of like this. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so <clears throat> what were some of the um, – so you said there was no – they really didn't have – it was so small. There was no, like, brand manager. So, like, um, did you go out and visit any of your uh, uh, producers that were in your book at time? Tell about some of the trips you had when you were at VOS. Yes. The main was we went, went to Spain, uh, which I loved. It was phenomenal. We went to the Rioja region, to the Penedes, and to um, – Catania and Ribeiro del Duero. So it was a we started in Barcelona, kind of road trip style, all the way through to Madrid, um, and that was incredible. Just to meet the families, and you know they always you know have you over and cook for you, and get to know the stories, and and just be able to tell the stories better. I immediately started selling a much more Spanish wine right after that trip, and into the beginning of the next year. So. It was a kind of a transformational experience. And there, the wine trips are long. I think, I don't know if people realize. realize yeah, not. talk about that. They're usually a minimum of 10 days, um, sometimes a maximum of 14 days. And it's really because of the travel time, the number of producers you're trying to visit. You don't want to overload your palate in one day. So you can't just hit, you know. Six producers in a day. What are you talking about? All you do is drink wine <laughs> exactly. all day. Right. It's like, <laughs> you don't understand. It's like, you you know, especially if you're drinking like Ribera del Duero, like it rips your enamel off. Like you can't taste anything after that. So it has to be spaced out from that region um, for that reason. And then there's a lot of other regions where um, inter 
country flying is required. Like think about if somebody were to come, you know, if you were working some other place and you were coming to the U.S., you would go to California, drive to Oregon, then you would fly to, you know, um, Washington State or you would fly to the Finger Lakes. So that part too. But um, they're great. They're just – Except they have cheap flights in Europe. They do. It's like fucking – a hundred bucks round trip. Yeah, I don't know why. Ours I don't know why. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Literally, Ryanair. Like literally, <laughs> like. But I went to visit my daughter in, in Dublin. We were going to. We were going to go over to Italy. It was like seventy-eight bucks. Yeah. Round trip. That's what insane. the hell? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. But yeah, but objectively, it's the same though, right? Like you said, like if you're if you're coming and you're visiting, you got to be in Virginia, Finger Lakes, and you got to fly over to California. But then you know you're like you're out fucking three grand here. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and 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 I I love it here, but like the history, like like you said earlier, the white asparagus season mm-hmm. in Rio. Like like talk a little bit about. And it's often said, but like what it really is, like what grows together goes together, like. Like at the source. Yeah. I just think, I mean, yeah, what grows together goes together. It tastes, I think, old world wine in general, um, I I, try to, I gravitate more towards. I started my career focused on old, old world wine, um, French in particular. Um, I think Italy has now, I'm becoming more versed, but I would say that uh, France and Champagne selling and working is really what I was mostly doing in the beginning. So I just think those regions have so much of a long history between the wine production, the level of production that they have, um, the history of the production that they have, plus just their culture, how many multi-generations um, of families who have been involved with different, with producing the, like the land, like, oh, I'm the seventh generation of family owned, you know, winemaker or a grape grower, you know, that's, that's just, it's in your blood, it's in your DNA. And it's just a huge, I don't know, it just has so much more history and depth. Um, I find. But, um, yeah. So I have an opening here. <laughs> so no, no. Um, so no, I agree with you. What do you think about <clears throat> um, athletes? We're getting into wine. I think it's great on one level, but like you talk about, you're talking about centuries versus I started drinking wine five years ago and I got a lot of money. So mm-hmm. now I'm going to have a winery. So my view on that in general, and it's not just athletes because there's other people. Or even or hedge fund people. I mean, yeah, I, mean right. I mean, Napa Valley is, is, was, was farmers. And then I made a shit ton of money in Silicon yeah. Valley and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm, and I'm just going to offer you a hundred million or 200 million for your, your winery and people you'd be crazy not to take it, you know? <laughs> but yeah, like, like talk about the difference in like, yeah. So don't have to make about athletes. I'm not dissing you guys come on the show. Um, <laughs> but like the, like the philosophy of winemaking you see here, like in California, particularly Napa. Mm-hmm. And now we've seen a little bit more in Oregon versus like, like a domain's been in a family for like 700 years. Right. So I, I have, my view is more so about the, the difference between a brand and a, and a state, you know? Okay. And so I view things that way. I personally think that wine is first and foremost an agricultural product, which means that there are people that grow it. There are There's a person who makes decisions during the vinification process, and that's what turns it into a consumer product that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. I gravitate more toward wines that have people and faces associated with them. Some people are just not really, they don't want to be kind of out front and center all the time. And that's understandable. But a brand that doesn't really promote or um, highlight or put 
even the story of the people behind it just usually does not resonate with me. So, which is very popular. And I mean, some, it is the, like like the most popular Pinot Noir in America is like a now a multi vintage, and it was never there was never they were just buying grapes and they put it in restaurants, sold it off for a lot of money, and people. Just go and buy it and buy it. And like now, it's, now it's not even, it's not vintage. Right. Yeah. And it's just a brand versus, mm -hmm. and I agree with you. I think the story, like even in California, I love my, you go to someone and like, 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 you know, and like, like someone's like, yeah, my, my, you know, my, 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 my family bought this place in the seventies. Lamb was cheap. Yeah. And Paso Robles. Like, like we couldn't, I couldn't do this today, but like, you know, we got, we got all these acres for 70,000, which was a, a reach for my family. You know what I mean? Right. That, that's that, that's such a more, more meaningful story. So I know a lot of consumers who are just looking for a specific taste or trying to hit a specific price point, they may not have that same um, approach or lens when they're looking and evaluating wine. But almost any wine you ever hear me talking about is going to have that kind of vibe, which is where it is – there's real people associated with it. Um, it. There's real farming, usually sustainably farmed, usually minimal intervention, winemaking um, – and it's just – I just really think that's the – what should be more front and center. I think there's also like things that have happened in the wine kind of world culturally, you know, the rise of the celebrity sommelier a few years ago, which yeah. I feel like that has kind of died down some. And I think winemakers are the most important people in winemakers wine. Winemakers are. I mean <laughs> – And I want to know about them. Yeah, no, that was – that's a very interesting um, phenomenon because when I – um, I'm older. I'm, I'm older than you. <laughs> um, but like, there was like five psalms in New York when mm -hmm. I was in a business. It was not like, and and no one like your wine is like. Did you know wine? You know, like, did you know wine? Like, Kevin's really Godfather wine education. He has no certificates. Like, you know what I mean? Right. But like, he went and studied and did this thing. You know, and 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 yeah, I think it's been great what happened with the. I mean, awareness is good. Mm -hmm. But like the celebrity psalm thing, like you said, and I love you guys because you guys have been on my podcast. But um, you know, um, when but what it did though, like what the psalms do is like they go and try and tell the story of the farmer. I went, you know what I mean? Versus so like let's just put the the farmer or the winemaker because so many winemakers I know like I'm a farmer. Yes, they don't absolutely. even because I'm a winemaker. They say I'm a farmer. Farmers, yeah. You know, that's like, why I love using the word agriculture when I talk about wine because people forget it's an agricultural product first and foremost. It is. It changes year over year. It it's so connected to the earth and to the environment. And yeah. this crazy weather and all the global warming is really giving us some. It's problems. giving us better wine in New York and drier Riesling. Yeah. <laughs> we. I know. It's, just, it's, it's one of those catch twenty two. It's challenging because we're benefiting from it, but then we're like, uh, you know why that is, right? You know why the wines have improved, right? You know. Um, and I think as far as just lastly on the celebrity, um, you know, in, involvement in the wine industry, I think that celebrities, I think celebrity dumb, celebrity dumb has changed to the point where in order to be a celebrity, you have to be attached to products. You have to be attached to consumer products. Endorsements used to be for athletes, that for products that are related to their field, sports drink, yeah, or yeah. athletic athleisure, athletic wear. And it wasn't about what they did at home or, you know, having yeah. you know, what they liked. So I think now we're just we're in a very highly um, materialistic and consumer oriented uh, era of, of our existence, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, celebrities who are having to, to remain relevant, they have to attach themselves to products. So many of the top celebrities aren't even 
first and foremost thought about for their initial crap I know, anymore. I know. Um, and people are killing it. Like, it's no shade. Um, I think I'm more impressed with what I see is going on outside of the wine industry when it comes to celebrity culture. But I think that we get, there's definitely people who are coming for being that celebrity in wine. And we we probably all know, who, like, who they are. And that's nothing against that. I, I think go for what you want. But I think we're kind of just getting caught up in the fact that we're a consumer product. We are a lifestyle product. We are a luxury industry. And because totally. of that, we have people coming in to attach themselves to it. So it's less about, you know, not respecting the history or, you know, um, you know, they don't, you know, their wine's trash. Like, that's not at all what's being said. It's just that we're just getting caught up in what's going on with consumer products across the board. And that's until our culture at large changes and what celebrities need to do to remain relevant changes, uh, we're going to be part of the mix because we have a product that people, yeah, that has a great reputation and it has a high class reputation and it's fancy and it's it's such it a challenge. I know, it's so challenging though, right? <laughs> it is. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, have, I mean, yeah. uh, someone texted me today about blue wine. I said, nope, wine's not blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that's that's a, that's a little bit more fringe, and there's definitely no celebrity but, attached to that. No, but but to your point, though, it is it, it is it is an entry into a market. Like, I had to think about, like, because I love marketing, and, like, people don't – there's only, like, three markets. There's uh, uh, health, uh, wealth, and, like, self-growth. That's it. Mm. They, everything you can – you can break – Every product will will funnel down into one of those in some way. Interesting. Um, and I, I was thinking about this a few months ago. I was like, wine is completely a wealth product, so it does and it, it does um, increase status, et cetera, so Absolutely. on. Absolutely. But I think it makes it, and I think it makes it challenging. Like, as a wine professional, though, um, because someone may want something just for someone's celebrity, and and like, but that's not necessarily like even at like. If you're going to spend $15, I can get you a better bottle of wine for $15, man. Totally. And that's why I tell people the best way to continue to explore wine is to taste. I I very start, I very strongly um, draw a distinction between spirits and wine. I think it's fine to have a favorite gin. I think that's fine. You can have your favorite gin and stop there. You don't need to taste all the craft gins in the world. But to stop at a specific wine is extremely limiting and you should be continuing to explore that region that producer that grape grown in other parts of the world there's so many directions that you can go from liking a specific wine and i just continue to push push that on people who get stuck too too early or treat it like oh i i like casamigos so that i that's you know, I'm stuck with that. That's fine. That's fine for tequila. That's not fine for wine. <laughs> Move on to something else. Try something else. So how did you end up at um, uh, Skernick Wines and Spirits? I ended up there. I heard about the op- opening that was there. Um, I guess it was funny. There was the former sales manager for the state had um, seen me in passing. Um, I was leaving an account. It was actually at the time a really high profile restaurant opening in South Jersey. And he was on his way into the account. And I guess he, he and the buyer just exchanged like um, favorable comments about me, you know, just like, oh, she's really great. Have you ever heard you've seen her? And I was working at a really small company at the time. So that was when I, I guess, became initially on their radar. And mm. then once I was made aware that there was an opportunity, um, I just it, we just connected immediately and I interviewed and moved forward with it. So so I had Kevin Zarelli on the podcast <laughs> and oh, wow. he, and and. Um, she don't listen to my podcast. I do, but not. I didn't listen to that episode. You have a lot of episodes. I do. I actually, I can't believe how many I have. It's really insane. 
I just do it, and then like I'm like, you need to put this in a. It needs to be archived, live well, library. Well, yeah, that's what uh, one of my producers, our exec, one of one of one of my executive producers, she said, she's like, this is like a time capsule because mm-hmm. because when we started in 2020, um, but uh, Kevin's really who wor- Michael worked for him. Yes, he said, um, I think Skernick Wines is the uh, best import in America right now. So what's it like working at a place that just has? And this is this is when I mean I have loved their wines since I got, I worked at Acker. You mean I know that I worked there in '90s and when they were just coming up. But like, what's it like? I knew they were I knew they were really killing it when they just when they could go into L.A. Like when you can when you're a New York company in wine and can go into L.A. Like all the people they have been repping. Like so, what's it like to work for like this company that is? really held in high esteem in the, in the mm-hmm. industry what's it, what was that like that transition in the beginning it was um i was it was challenging going from a really small company to a, a larger company um and that was definitely the first thing it was definitely like a culture shock in that regard uh, getting to learn the portfolio which i think now is over like 3000 wines or something like that in the new york area were big learning curves but i absolutely love it and i agree i think that it's the best company to sell wine for. It's the best importer. I think we have our portfolio is amazing. I felt even more connected to our portfolio during the pandemic mm-hmm. when it was just we didn't have our you know lovely sales office open in Manhattan. We weren't having big grand tastings where people can come taste some of the finest wines in the world. But we were still moving wine because we have the wine. Like it's we, the wine itself. And so um, I value most first and foremost um harman michael and harman's ability to grow the company over the last 30 plus years i truly value their ability to to curate such a phenomenal and dynamic portfolio of quality i mean honestly to me and i tell people who are looking again to wine sales this all the time the two most important things to consider when you're looking at any company are is the portfolio itself what wines are you selling that is hugely important and then your territory, your assignment, your it's like, I guess you can call it account quality or mm-hmm. account potential and wine quality. Those are the two things. And I think we, there is just no better wine book to sell and work with. And we've got great producers and mix. We're adding new ones. Um, we've got small and some, some that are getting larger, but it just, that just really is what it's about. And I think the reputation has developed Based on the wines that we like, mostly rooted in the wines that we have, and then we're all, apparently we're also known for having like great salespeople and people respect like oh yeah legends the talent I yeah mean, legends, I <laughs> yeah mean. legends who've gone on to start their own I companies mean, yeah, or just, even mean, just people who didn't who were just legends in the in the marketplace yeah I mean yeah it, it's <laughs> it's one of those places it's like it's like if you come out of there like I mean you know. And people rarely leave. I honestly, I, I especially. I, mean, I think you kind of have that too. That no, you're right. I mean, let's. I mean, just want to uh, acknowledge uh, the passing of Tom Lynch, who, yeah. who was who was employee number one. He was there for over thirty years, and, I know. and that guy could have did anything, and he never left. Never left, and that that we missed him so much. That was a really devastating loss for us. Um, but that that is yeah, that's the case in general with a lot of people. I think you know you have that initial turnover of someone who you know stays for let's say under two years. You know, it's just maybe that's not a fit for them, not mm-hmm. going the right direction for them. But if you make it over that three year hump, you most of those people stick around for quite a while. I can't even believe that I'm in my fifth year there. It's unbelievable because it's just gone by so fast. But 
Um, but yeah, I think it's a great company. I really can't see myself selling wine anywhere else in this in New York or New Jersey. Um, and I'm I'm happy to be there. So, but before you joined them, you actually started Kelly Mitchell Wine. Is that correct? I did. Okay. So. Well, I was at a small company before, which I mentioned. So I was really still scraping by. It was a very scrappy situation. It was not a high-earning job at all. And so I was like, I need more money. I need to do other things. And so I said, you know, what about – what can I be doing with the consumer audience? And also, it was also kind of coming toward me. Every time I would go to a baby shower or wedding, I would get cornered. Oh, my gosh, Kelly, I heard you work in wine now. That's so amazing. What do you do? Because it was also so different than mm-hmm. anybody else mm-hmm. in my world. It still is. Um and so I realized there was a lot of lot of consumer interest, but, you know, I wasn't sure how I could work with them given that I, wor- I work inside the trade. So I started saying, oh, you know, what about doing wine education and wine tastings with people? And that's kind of how um, Kelly Mitchell Wine started, and it still continues to be just a consumer-oriented consulting firm. And um, inside, I know you're um... – you participate like in Champagne Week, like you're just like like you. Yeah. What's your interest in champagne? Well, I have a very personal interest in champagne because I just love it. I I drink mostly white burgundy and champagne only. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for all you guys who are wondering, you know, Kelly, <laughs> you're not gonna step to Kelly with no bullshit. No, that's not gonna work. <laughs> so, um, and and I like a lot of dry reasoning too. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I met up. I met with Blaine last year, and she invited me to be part of. New York Champagne Week, which we're actually coming up on the 8th annual, which is next week. And it'll be great because it's going to be a hybrid of uh, virtual and in-person. So I'm excited for that. And that's kind of how I started with there. So it just continued to grow. I would say Kelly Selects, which I launched last year, which is my um, wine club, I guess you can say. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has really... How'd that come about? That came about of just realizing people are going to be stuck at home for a while I know that, um, you know, this is my, it was my thinking. People are going to be stuck at home for a while. Uh, Skernick Wines is a very um, restaurant-driven yep. company uh, as far as the, the accounts that we have. I know that there was just all of this kind of uncertainty in the moment. But what was clear as day to me was that people needed wine and they needed it at home. And I had started working the year before with Wired for Wine, an incredible online wine retailer um, e-commerce wine retailers get a bad rap for, you know, kind of driving prices down and not being caring about actual wine. I mean, what they do is allow people access to wines that they can't normally get. Thank you. They do that. And especially someone like Wired for Wine is – they have a, a very highly curated selection. It's not just big commercial brands that they can move or they're not buying – they're not flipping wine, you know, buying, you know, discounted wine quickly, getting rid of it. They're they're really selling – it's a, a beautiful online store. And so I went to them and I said, hey, would you guys consider – letting me do this. I had known the owner for less than six months. Like he could have been like, you're crazy. I'm not letting you pop up on my website or do anything with me. (laughs) But he said yes. And so then I had to go um, and just put it together. And I I just started tasting wine that I liked, that I was drinking, that was, I felt like a, a really sharp price point. And I put together a set. And in the first hour... I sold a hundred six packs, and that's and I Damn, girl. realized that uh, yeah, we're onto something here. <laughs> 
it was also the timing. Everybody was, you know, shut in and ready for some good wine. And it just, it was, it's all Instagram only. Kelly Selects, in fact, does not have its own actual website. It's just, there's like a little link to, to the Wired for Wine store and that's it. And then it has an Instagram page where, you know, user generated content of unboxings and food and wine pairings have been um, put out. We've, there's never been any marketing dollars put into it at all. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I don't think that's good now. I think now, like the next, well, the future next, of yeah, it, yeah, needs all scale, that. But, but yeah. just like it was very grassroots. You sold 600 <laughs> bottles of wine. Six, yeah, six, six times 100, uh, 600 bottles. Yes, correct. I know. Uh, you worked at Goldman Sachs. I know, yeah, barely. <laughs> I mean, that's not a tough one. <laughs> it is. It. I was just thinking, like, <laughs> you're right, 600 bottles of wine. And how, how fast you said it was? In the first hour. That's crazy. Yeah. It was just long overdue. I also think it was one of the first times I was able to reach my national audience. Like I was mentioning about Spellman, knowing people all over the place. Um, the, the territory, you know, very micro territory setup of wine sales is not really like suiting my – doesn't really fully suit like my – what I can bring to the table. I know people in all parts of the country. I, you know, highly social. I know people that are in a lot of different organizations. And so it was also just the access was, mm-hmm. was huge. And so once people were able to just order six bottles, free shipping, I picked the wines, tasting notes to your door usually in two to three days, it just went, went off. And then I just kept releasing new sets periodically – and I'm due to put a new one out very, very soon. I kind of hit a little bit of a creative block recently where I just felt like I wasn't finding the right picks that I really wanted to – and I thought it was worth waiting for to kind of put the set together. But, um, yeah, that was really huge for me. And, um, yeah, I just I, – it feels so much more fulfilled because I'm, I'm now touching my consumer – side. I'm still doing my wine education. Virtual tastings were huge and still are. Still do at least two a week sometimes mm-hmm. with, with companies, various companies um, who are still operating in a virtual space. So that, and then I have my in the trade, you know, space working in wine sales. And I feel like that keeps me kind of at the cutting edge of like what's, like I know what wine's on the water right now. You know what I mean? Just having that insight into what's coming, what's here, what the new vintages are, what the coming releases are. So it just all, for the moment, works really nicely together. Nice. So, um, and did a portion, and so you started out in 2020, which is the pandemic, so restaurants were hit hard, hospitalities hit hard. Um, uh, I believe a portion of that went to the United Psalms Foundation. Yes, the United Sommelier Foundation, which uh, was founded by Eric Segelbaum, um, what had just put themselves together very quickly to gather funds for out-of-work sommeliers. I don't want to quote the exact number, but they were hugely successful um, with um, not – I mean, my – my contribution was a drop in the bucket, but they raised a, a lot of money to give Psalms, um, you know, stipends, I guess you can say, you mm-hmm. know, to get them through the hard times. So that was our first beneficiary for the first Kelly Selects. Um, and then after that, when we started moving into kind of the um, George George Floyd era and just like the um, – reckoning with our racial situation in the country um i changed the beneficiary to the naacp mm-hmm. um legal defense fund and that can that remains our current beneficiary now oh very nice very nice so <clears throat> what is um you know obviously i follow you on social oh, media gosh. you're a very good cook too i, I see it <laughs> 
Thank you. I, I try to be. I think I am. Um, it's funny. One of my biggest goals for the next year is I, is to cook more without following recipes because I feel like I have the skill set to do that now, but I'm just still um, – I'm a rule follower, for the, generally speaking. And so the idea of like going off the, off the path or trying something different is – It's at a quarter teaspoon. Yeah. I can't do anymore. Yeah. That's how I am. Ask anybody who knows me. I'm very like Hey, if a recipe rigid. says three – Cloves of garlic, there's probably eight going in for me, just oh, so wow. you know. I love garlic. I'm fine with that because garlic is so delicious. Um, but no, I see you there. And, and, and um, you said something. You made some soup the other day, lentil soup. Is it your sister's recipe? It is. I did. Yes. So okay. good. But I, I saw something and I was like, said book coming soon. So what was it? Oh, mean? oh, no. I, I mean, I did say that. That was kind of joking. I mean, you majored in English. I, I did. Mean, like, you know. I am going to eventually write a book. I actually think. Um, there is some form of self-produced media that I will move into next year, whether it's putting out a book or um, doing, you know, you're in the media space, um, launching my own podcast. I don't see that. Or just just some other form of media. Maybe it's writing. So that's actually one of my biggest next goals is to um, direct and create some media around wine. And food and myself. And I also feel like another big part of my brand and just what I represent is like the lifestyle. So I really like live and breathe like all of this. Like I'm enjoying all these same wines. I'm out eating and drinking everywhere. I'm, you know, socializing. And so I think there's an authenticity that comes across when people are like, oh, she's not just trying to sell us something. Like she really does this too, you know? Yeah. No, there's, 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 you're not an influencer. You're no. actually living this. Like it's not. This is like your life. It is. It's not like, let me make this look like this is my life. You know what I mean? Um, it is. There's a, I, there is an authenticity that rings. Thank you. Uh, true to that. Um, speaking of which, um, and then you also used to do some dope shit. So like, you went to the family reunion. Tell everybody about the family reunion. You oh, were there that was and that, great. And like that was out of bounds yeah so um kwame chef kwame oh i can't remember how to pronounce his last uh, name okay. with the o. <laughs> know, chef so kwame bad. most people know who i'm talking about yeah, yeah. he's an amazing chef just um, google if you google chef kwame he'll, he'll come, up. come up he decided to launch an inaugural event called the family reunion which was a food and wine uh event held at the salamander in uh resort in virginia which is kind of it's it's a it's a five star spa resort, black owned, and he you know put together um, a roster of global dynamic chefs, most of whom were his you know his context. It was Kwame's family reunion, so he picked the people he wanted to be there. Um, Carlton McCoy led the wine team and invited me to be on the wine team, and yeah, it was a really great experience. It was a very intimate um, setting. Uh, they, they really capped the attendees. So it was a very, um, you know, it didn't feel like a massive event. It was just really hands-on. There was panels during the day, um, lunches and dinners, lots of music, dancing. Dave Chappelle came. I was like, Chappelle showed up. He waved at me. <laughs> 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 um, but it, it was a really great time, especially for, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Such a, an amazing event. And memorable event. Um, I look forward to seeing what they do next year. I know there were so many people, there's a lot more eyeballs on it now. So I wonder what the next version of it will look like. Yeah. Um, because there really was a very limited experience for a certain amount of people, but uh, I look forward to it continuing and um, hopefully I'll be involved as well. 
Very, very, very That was cool. pretty cool, it was. Yeah, no, I was like, damn. <laughs> I was doing so. I mean, I didn't get invited, but I was doing something that week anyway, but I was like, shit. Yeah. Dave showed up. I was like, this is no joke. That, that's, that's a top five memory of me for me for the year, for sure, that event. She got a double like of the year. Of the year. I know like, that, would, that would make my decade. Right? No, I made my year. <laughs> She's like, you old. Of course. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I digress. Um, <laughs> so, what? What do you like? Like, what? What are you excited about? Like now in your life? Like what? Like you mentioned, you know, you want to do some media, but like, what's really? Yeah. You know, so yeah. So let me back up. 40 under 40. Mm-hmm. How did how did that feel? That was incredible. It was actually like a dream come come true. Um, I, you know, I'm 38, so I just made it. And they are no longer doing 40 under 40 next year. So I literally just, just made it because it wouldn't have been possible next year because they're changing the, the dynamic of the, the format of the award. But, I mean, I think it just, it all came together at the right time. I definitely think, you know, the Kelly Selects piece and all of that kind of taking off was hugely um, uh important to what made me um, considered and put me kind of on their radar. And it was it was great. I was so happy to celebrate with my friends and family. Um, I had like a really epic party. It was really, really fun um, just to celebrate because it had been a long journey just in general. You know, again, I know a lot of people look and think that everything was like so smooth the whole way through. It was really, really rocky for the, in the beginning years. And so just to kind of have that um, recognition was just so, so wonderful. And I I just, I also just like this stage of life. You know, I am not a wife, I'm not married and I don't have any children, but I'm just happy. I'm really happy with how my life is at the moment and what's going on in it. Um, I really enjoy this life stage of what's going on with my friends at the, at the time. I mean, at the moment and just their careers thriving, them thriving as mothers. I just feel like it's like a good like uh, stage, I guess you can say. We're in a good space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been most, that's what's exciting too, is just being able to like continue to uh, expand and share all of this with my friends and family mostly. Um, and that's been really fun and it's, it's been going on. Like, and I just have people in my life doing amazing things all around. So there's just so much inspiration coming from all over um, that I'm really just tapping into the energy and the momentum of others and um, and trying to find that within myself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you did a niche niche. Uh, was, that, was that last week? Uh, two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another great post of like all support you have community. So what's it like being a mentor at Wine Unify and being involved with that? Like, It's good. We're just getting started. Um, but I think mentorship is real hugely important in the wine industry. And so is mentoring. Um, you know, being a mentee and being a mentor are both important. And so I value both aspects of that. I think I need it both. I think I have a lot to offer others, but I think I also could use some guidance and I'm glad that I have that as well. So there's just, I'm just so grateful for all the infrastructure that has come into place in the last, I mean, it's just like a whole new day now, you know, like having the wine unifies, the root funds of the world is just transformational for the business, the industry. I mean, there's just so much, the Becky Wasserman trip going on right now, there's four 
black women in Burgundy at the most elite. Yeah, I gave Paul and Pierre. I was like, you can't yeah. hook a brother up. I was like, <laughs> did you apply? I did. But I you know applied. What, but you know what's so funny? Me. I know. You know what's so funny? They were like, they were like, it's real casual. I like, I have a freaking podcast. I'd have did a whole thing, man. I just like. <laughs> I know. I I think that was like one of the best opportunities that came oh my god up. i don't know shit about burgundy except i like it yeah no and i would really love to go and study it so no that is really dope um so let's talk let's we're gonna we're coming up here on the top of the hour um so let's talk about um like the meal and the bottle of wine or the bottle of wine that just you were like oh <laughs> i'm 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 going in the wine business it's so funny i was actually volunteering while i was exploring careers I was volunteering at um, one of those like top 100 consumer tasting event type things on the event team. And I tasted flowers, Camp Meeting Ridge, Camp Meeting Ridge yep. Pinot Noir. And I was like, this is transformational. I've never tasted wine this good. I ordered, that was my first time spending like $75 a bottle on a, a bottle of wine <laughs> each. I ordered two from the winery right after that. And that was when I was hooked. And I was like, okay, again, levels to this. There's so much out there. This is like, I never tasted anything like that, which is so funny because most people would assume that for me that it was like some sort of burgundy or champagne. But I, no, it was a, it was a beautiful wine from California. And Flowers is an elite producer there. And it was just, it was like, I remember it was, that was the wine. Yeah, I mean, Flowers, uh, the first winemaker. <clears throat> oh, my God. This Riesling's kicking in. But, <laughs> um, he's a legend. He's at Ancient Oaks now. What the hell's his name? Oh, I can see his face. But no, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, shit, you're going to be so mad. But no, that's a beautiful wine. I remember the first time I camp meeting Ridge. You're like. Whoa. Yes. It's so delicious. I need. actually need to revisit that one. I haven't tasted it in years. Yeah, I need, I need to revisit it. I'm like, yeah, I need to revisit a camp meeting Ridge. <laughs> um well, Kelly, oh my God, you know what? We're gonna have to have, have you back on at some point um. when, when you know, like when you have like when you have the Kelly Mitchell show. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I I know. I I just think that you're doing such an amazing job too, and like just to share all the amazing stories that you have and continue to do, and your podcast being kind of you. Would you say it's on the youthful side? You know, I I think a, it is how I see myself. Like I. It's I'm at the right age because mm -hmm. like I love the OGs, but like I have so many younger listeners because they're they're getting I think I'm like a bridge. I'm I want to hold I want everybody to see the connection. Yes. You know, between between between, uh, you know, the complete windows on a wild course and wine folly. I want, there's a, there's a yes. line there that that wouldn't exist without that. And don't get too caught up. in that. That's fine. I no shade on anybody. But like. No one's asking people like, "Where'd you learn from?" Like, you go, you go to, you go to Raj Par. Everybody's like, "Where is the world?" It just keeps coming up, right? Yes. There's certain books that keep coming up. Mm -hmm. um, but then I love, I, but I'm just, I'm a goofball, and I love, so I got, I got to keep. Uh, yeah, it is, it is, and you know, it, it is like also, I love music, so and all music, but you know, I came up on hip hop, mm -hmm. so like, which is now popular. Well, that's not hip hop, what they're playing now, but. <laughs> But maybe one day he'll get back yeah, to that, yeah. but, that situation. But, but but yeah, there is there. I think I'm in a new, unique place um, because um, I I like I have so many. You know, I had a guy who's not even thirty, who's Thacker bigger, but who's killing it, killing it. You know, and then I, I've I, you know I, listen. If you want to if you want to be dope, 
uh, you know, you're the, now you're the fourth under 40. And I was going to have you on before you even got that. I like know. Fourth under 40, you know, um, uh, you know, we have, you know, people come on here and then they're written up in the New York Times. And Love the, 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 it. Hey, know, that's my goal still. I want to still get written up in the New York yeah, Times. Yeah, so do I. So put that out so there. no thank you so much for that i really appreciate that and you know um just for me it's just uh it's about your stories i love stories and this i when i started i was like literally the the th- couple old friends catching up over a glass of wine if, if you don't want to have a bottle of wine with me then there's something wrong with you and that's okay we don't have to have a bottle of wine but so far it's been great and uh works. thank you for being here thank everybody you um so thank much. you oh tell everybody where they can find you how they can be a part oh, of what you're doing sure so my primary instagram page is kells01 k-e-l-l-s-01 I also do have um, Kelly Mitchell Wine, Instagram, and Kelly Selects, which is the name of my wine club. So I hope to be doing more with all of those, but Instagram is my main platform, and that's where you can find me most quickly. Awesome, everybody. So until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the Flossers, the Deep Thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. Peace. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something and you had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 